1: I, you know, I wish I could applaud for triggers, getting triggered, but it's my least favorite subject. Not that trigger. Not that kind of trigger? (laughs) I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) You and I, great minds. Baby, you're the great. You are the greatest. You are the greatest. No, we're going to talk about, where do we begin? Triggers, getting your buttons pushed,
0: Hmm.
1: being reactive, healing old wounds, Breaking old patterns. Yeah, I'm so glad you can keep your sense of humor about these things. Well, we have to.
0: If we don't, you know, it's because you
1: are so all up in it right now. And we had, um, I had, you know, not a great week because I was triggered. Do you want to talk about it? No, I don't. Okay, I don't. don't. But let's just suffice to say that it's not. It wasn't boring. A snooze. No, it wasn't. Boring. It actually was upsetting. And I, um, I admit, I let myself get triggered by some really stupid stuff. That's what I felt like doing. But I took the high road. Yes, that's what I feel like doing sometimes. Don't we all?
0: The high road is a good place to be and live.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it takes some practice. So the point I'm making is that in life and love, we get triggered. Okay. There's always going to be triggers. Life just is that way. The question is, Robbie Sharf, how do we control our response? You say to me all the time about the well-worn path. Let's talk about the well-worn path. It's your favorite subject. Well, My least favorite subject. Well,
0: okay. I'm glad that we are tackling this. And by the
1: way, this goes for life and for love. Okay. Did I say that already?
0: Yes, you talked okay. over me and said that.
1: Sorry. Okay.
0: The well-worn path is something that you have a tendency to take first. And what I'm trying to do is always create things for you so you take a breath and see, yes, that well-worn path exists right there. I know that path well. But what if I look this way? What if I go this way? What if I try this option? Those options are always available to you. I just want you to be exposed to those options and think about them and then make the best decision it might be the well-worn path again i don't know why is it well-worn
1: because it is familiar and i've done it a million times
0: okay and i've walked
1: i've walked that path
0: what's the result of that path
1: it's usually not a satisfactory result
0: but you're not thinking of that before you take your first step Mm. you're thinking the path is the only path. And that's why you take that step. You're not thinking these paths have always ended up with an, a non satisfactory result. Right. For me, for you, right. for whatever right. that right. is, for the situation. So knowing that almost gives you the power to close the door on that path and try another path. Any other path is going to be better yes. than that well worn path. Yes. But you need to be the one to not go down that path. Okay. And look at another avenue.
1: Okay. So I'm going to put, put it to you now. I'm going to turn the tables here. We did talk about the idea of our parents pushing our buttons. And why do our parents push our buttons? Because they installed the wiring. Which right. I, I find to be a profound statement because it is true, and we learn from our family of origin how to respond to certain things. We learn how to love. We learn how to behave. We learn how to react. We see it; they model for us well, what we ultimately pick up and learn. So, how do you stop your buttons from getting pushed? And when do you feel it? Do you know it's coming? Do you breathe? Do you follow your own advice?
0: Absolutely. So, when let's talk about um, you know my father. 98 years old and is going through stuff at this age that he didn't go through two years ago. And it takes a great deal of patience because our natural inclination is to be angry at something he he might do because he's not acting like he did before. But what does that do when we get angry? It just makes him angry, he gets frustrated, we get frustrated, we get nothing out of it. So that formerly known as well-worn path for us is not working. I don't want to make him angry. I don't want to frustrate him. I don't want to get myself angry, my sisters. I, I want us all to be harmonious as much as possible. So when you're dealing with someone of that escalated age, sometimes it is better to deflect, change a subject, Keep him on the positive and still try to get what it is you want to get out of the situation, but maybe take a different path to get there. And that's really... Well,
1: that, that's maturity. But, but, but and this is, is what
0: you have to think about yes. this in the moment because you can't do this while you're already going down that well-worn path. Right. Because that is... Not going to be satisfactory.
1: No, that's where that is where mindfulness comes in.
0: But this is and, where and I've been also trying to get you to be aware of that exact moment when you are dealing with, let's say, your mother. Yes. Who loves to push your buttons, and in so doing, you push hers back. Mm-hmm. And all I am is a a monitor at this point, and I am seeing dual meltdowns, and it's not pretty. Okay. So we are in control now. Your mother's not. Well, that's right. This is we, something that she is. No, we can't. It's, she has reverted to being your daughter in a way, yeah. even though she's still very strong. Yes. So you are the one that has the ability to take a 30,000 foot overview, to step back, take a breath, and handle it as maturely as possible. We can't expect that from your mom right
1: now. Mm, no. And by the way, I just want to say we control nothing. I mean, if you think you can control every little thing of your life, you are sadly mistaken. The only thing you can control seriously are your thoughts and your actions. Correct. So, you have, and you have, are a, and yes, and you have a ton of choices as to how to but what, articulate and express those actions. But and when you thoughts. are
0: triggered, you yes. are not thinking of anything other than either the defense against that trigger. Okay. Or you are thinking of the well-worn path. Yes. And this is where there needs to be some kind of a speed bump in your thought process right. to keep you from it's immediately like, making a, you know, dis- it's, a bad decision. It, it is
1: like a, sorry, it's like when you go to the doctor's office and they right, they the hit the hammer on your... Reflex. Your, yes. It's a reflex. It requires practice and it requires, what requires presence of mind to be able and control and breath and patience mm-hmm. and all of that stuff and we get triggered everywhere in our families in our in business i mean how many times did you over the years have to deflect or or i don't know diffuse situations where you didn't fly off the handle or you didn't you know you reacted in a way that
0: I, can, I can't think of one right now, but there's been many times when that has happened over the years. But what goes on is that you get better, especially when you're dealing with people. You want to hear everybody's side. You don't want to fly off a handle. You really want to be composed and measured. You really need to be, can't be too high, too low in, in certain circumstances. People are looking at you, looking towards you for guidance when you're in roles of management as we age we should also be acquiring this wisdom that we hear about yes so this is such an important thing because what good is getting old if you don't use the wisdom that you should have acquired on this journey that
1: is precisely what i'm talking about that at this age we've seen it all done it all right and we know what's coming it's almost like you know the script already correct and especially People like us that took a long time to get married. Okay, so let's bring it back to love. I don't know so much for you. Well, I'm going to ask you something. So you had 50 plus years of being single. Did you ever go, wait a minute, time out here. I am repeating the same pattern. I am getting the same result. This is insanity. I need to shake it up.
0: I believe I did in a couple of different situations. And I also felt like that pattern was a winning pattern for me with relationships. So there were times when I I was able to take that breath and realize if I do this, this is the reaction I'm going to get. If I do this, this might be the reaction I get. And for some reason, I had clarity about that. And I was able to see results before I undertook that position I took, which helped me gain some type of ability to pick a new path and get a new result.
1: You also weren't nearly as miserable as I was at times being single, so that helped. Okay. You weren't always, you weren't unhappy. I mean, I wasn't, I was for the most part a happy single person, but there were times I had to bottom out.
0: We do have to go to a break in a few seconds. So our show today is about triggering.
1: Yeah, I'm getting triggered right now. I'm sweating.
0: I, I can see this. I am sweating. What is up with that?
1: I think I'm having hot flesh, but you know what? instead <laughs> <laughs> talking about this shit makes me sweat.
0: All right, well... Let's take our break, and then cool down and maybe a shower. Okay. And then we're coming back with our guest, Veronica Grant. And we are back.
1: I just want to say that my come to Jesus moment about my dating life and the patterns and the triggers and the buttons and all that came when I bottomed out. It took me bottoming out before I could turn the ship around. And I feel like I needed to do the work, and I did the work. I worked very hard on myself because I knew that I was getting results that were unsatisfactory. And I thought, this is for the birds. This can't, this is not right, you know, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have a healthy, happy relationship. And so I said, okay, I did my own timeout, and let's get to the bottom of this. So that's how I came to it. But I'm also gonna say that marriage has been, wow, another kind of come to Jesus in a way in that I've learned even more about my triggers and buttons and old wounds, and it's such a pleasure to be able to share to those share triggers with your mates, with <laughs> our okay. thousands of listeners. Yes, uh, and no, but to, but it's been uh, but this is what we do. This is why we do this show because mm. we learned that we are of an age where we have we have some
0: experience experience
1: at this. Yes,
0: okay. And so. so,
1: but we're gonna we're gonna introduce our guest who really is kind of a specialist at this. Veronica Grant is a love coach for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. Through her binge-worthy podcast, The Love Life Connection, free challenges and coaching, Veronica's here to shake up how you find love even in our swipe right, swipe left world. After years of one date wonders and non committal relationships, she finally cracked the code in love and now helps her clients around the world do the same. You can meet Veronica and discover what's blocking you in love by taking her free quiz at slash quiz. Veronica Grant, welcome to Dunbean Center. Welcome, Veronica. Thanks so much for having me.
0: <laughs> Great. That's it. We have a large studio audience here. Thank you, people.
1: So you've been listening in and watching me sweat, although you can't see me. But you can feel the sweat, right? You, this is this is as real and raw as we get. And we're talking a little bit too much about me, but you know what? It's, it's all about you. Okay, so, but, so let's... But, let's so here, but, but
0: the thing is that what we are discussing, though, are triggers that happen because of our parents. But we also are talking about triggers that happen in relationships and how to recognize these triggers. And what do we do about that? Yes. And how do we handle that? And I think that's where Veronica, we need some help.
1: Okay, Veronica. So you've heard our story. Now let's hear yours. What was your journey and path to love?
2: Yeah. So my journey and path to love was, it was a rocky one to, to say the least. I just kept attracting people that were not really that interested in being serious with me. And the thing is, is that I had always wanted a relationship, I always wanted to be married. I was never like the type where I was like, Oh, I'm just gonna date around in my 20s and have fun and not worry about it. I was never like that. It could never be casual for me. And yet I kept attracting um, guy after guy who just didn't want what I wanted. And I had started you know, the spiritual path, so to speak. I was working with therapists and got more into yoga, which helped me tune into my body and my emotions and things like that. And I was moving in a better direction and I was beginning to attract people that did seem they wanted what I wanted. It was just a matter of finding the right person. And then I took a big backslide. I just moved to Washington, D.C., and I worked on. A presidential campaign and I was like living on top of the world because that's like a whirlwind of experience and then I was moving to DC afterwards and just kind of felt like everything that I had like I didn't know who I was anymore I didn't have this big job I didn't have all the success anymore because like that job was over and so I guess I was just feeling a little um I don't know I had a little bit of a void I guess you could say and I attracted this guy who I think he was genuinely into me and I was really into him. I was really excited about him. I had just gotten a new job and it didn't pay really well, but he would take me out on all of these really fancy dates. Like he would wine and dine me and I was just like loving it. And, and, and then things started to happen and I just conveniently started to ignore them. Um, we had a time schedule to go on a date and to um spend spend the evening together. And he texted me probably about an hour or so before he was supposed to pick me up, telling me that he was too drunk to pick me up. And wanted instead to get a cab for me and I can just go hang out with all of his friends. And he kind of just wrote it off like Yeah. See, I'm introducing you to my friends. That's a good thing. Right. And I pretended like I was okay with it. And then that happened actually. Again, the next time we were supposed to um, go on a date, he texted me and was like, hey, really sorry. I had too much fun at brunch, um, had a little too much to drink. I don't think I'm going to be able to see you again or see you tonight, as we had planned. And at that point, there was no extra text saying like, but let me get you a cab to where I am with my friends. There was none of that. It was actually radio silence for the next few days. And that just for whatever reason, well, actually, I know why, but in the moment, I didn't know why. But I just lost it. I just was so devastated. I was so heartbroken. I, I mean, I'd only been dating this guy for about gosh, maybe six weeks. And so my level of sadness was, you know, warranted, or it was okay to be sad, but I was way sadder than what the situation actually was in terms of how well we knew each other and how long we had dated. So that's an example of being, of me being triggered or something really deeper going on there. And I had what I call my bathroom floor moment where I was just talking to my friend and he was actually a guy friend and he was trying to console me. And I was just like going on and on and on and on. And he just kind of snapped me back into reality. And he was just like, get the F over yourself. I don't know if I can curse here, but he was like, get the F over yourself, Veronica. He couldn't even stay sober to go on a date with you. And he should have been so lucky. And at first I was like, why isn't my friend taking my side? He's like mad at me, or he's putting me on the defensive. And that's when I realized that really my entire life I had outsourced my confidence to other things and people in my life, but specifically to the men that I was interested in dating. And that was really, I guess what you could call my, yeah, my rock bottom where I realized I needed to do something different where I could not be outsourcing my confidence to other people like this because it was just going to leave me again and again in relationships that weren't going to go in the direction that I wanted them to go. And so that was the moment where I just really decided to turn things around um, emotionally, spiritually, all of that stuff. And it was only like, I don't know, maybe six months after that, that I met my current husband. And it's funny because one of the things that he said to me when he first met me was he just loved how confident I seemed. And that was like such a weird thing for me to hear because I never felt like I was a confident person before, at least standing on my own two feet. I was always confident if I was dating someone or who that other person was. That's my well, roundabout
0: story. So congrac- I congratulations. Got I am. <laughs> on, yeah. Congrats on meeting your husband. And, Thank you. Uh, wonderful. And did that cause you to go back in your memory banks of past relationships and figure out things that guys did to you that triggered you or, or should have triggered things, whether it was red flags or other things that you should have adhered to earlier on?
2: Yeah. So looking back at my dating history, so to speak, it's super clear and super obvious to me what was going on. It was always something about me needing to get my sense of validation, getting my sense of worth from the men that I was dating. And really where that was triggering from, triggered from, was from the way that I was raised. I was raised by women in my family that put a very, very high value on women's bodies and what we looked like. And it was something that went way beyond my mother. It was like my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mom, like it was all just, um, even when my, before my Nana passed away, you know, she had like really bad dementia, potentially Alzheimer's and, you know, can hardly remember who I was. And yet she still remembered to always comment on our legs and what our legs were looking like and what our bodies were looking like. And if we were looking fat or if we were looking skinny or whatever it was. And so from a very young age, I learned to get that approval and to get that validation from external sources. And so I definitely used to get or or seek that through looking a certain way or from someone liking me. And I thought that that, to, in order to get them to like me, then I had to look a certain way or act a certain way. So it was like, yeah, it was, it was me being triggered, but it was like, it was really triggering like a deeper childhood wound of just a misunderstanding that I had on how, on what it really means to, to get love, to get attention um, from other people and and the healthy ways to do that. And then the unhealthy ways to do that. So
1: it sounded like your triggers are based around your self-concept or your body image and mm-hmm. that that by getting rejected by that guy it triggered all of those insecurities sounds totally
2: 100
1: so 100 all right so you can only imagine when you get older you've had a bunch of those say you're single a really long time mm-hmm. wow you you build up scar tissue and the rejections mm-hmm. are powerful they become way bigger than they should be because the older you get and the longer you're single it's death by a thousand cuts and yeah so this is what i want to figure out how do we tell particularly women how do we do it how do we tell them to not take it to heart to not to be the source of their own validation
2: right so it's it's not so much about telling someone what to think or what to feel because if that works then like willpower would work and then we'd all be like size twos and you know never purchasing anything dumb or useless (laughs) that we don't Mm -hmm, need right mm -hmm. like willpower doesn't really work what i think we have to do instead is we have to look at the source of what created the belief that created the pattern you know that you might find yourself over and over again and then you have to go back to the source of where you created that belief so you know from childhood and that's where you have to start
0: okay well we have to take a break and uh, we're going to come back with more from Veronica Grant. And we are back.
1: So we all have emotional wounds, all of us, from childhood, correct? Somewhere. Correct. Maybe we were told, you're not enough. You you know, you're not good enough. You could do better. You're a disappointment. Um, you're not smart. I didn't even name it. Well, these okay. are coming
0: from some personal experience, I think.
1: Okay. So yeah, I'm sure you had them, too. I'm sure you had... You know, your parents were pretty demanding, weren't your dad was? Okay. All right, so okay, so we grow up with something in our head always saying, eh nah, not so fast. You're not that smart, or you're not that, you know, this, that, or the other." How do you, how do you know what's imaginary, what's in the past, you know, what to leave in the past, what to take with you, how to know better, how not to take it personally. Yeah. Well,
2: the thing is, is that it doesn't actually matter when you're doing inner child work. It doesn't actually matter if what you remember to have happened, if that's actually accurate or not, because what matters is the story you told yourself about it. And so if let's say your parents were always too busy to, um, I don't know, look at your art project and, and you really wanted to have them look at your art project, but you, but they were just, you know, busy with their job or whatever, or just seem distracted, then you might've created some story, you know, about, Oh, I'm not good enough. Or the only way to get love is to like, please my parents or to help out. You know, if I helped them mow the lawn, then I would get attention from my dad. And so that can create some people pleasing tendencies later on in, in life. But it might also be true that it wasn't a hundred percent of the time that your parents were too busy to look at your art project. Right. But it doesn't matter whether or not, what you what you remember is true. What matters is the story you told yourself because the story that you told yourself is ultimately what then creates your belief about yourself or about others, relationships, men, women, love, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so to begin to not take that personally, I, I don't know if it's not about not taking it personally, but it's about understanding like if you're if you're seeing yourself or noticing yourself getting triggered, whether you're in a relationship or whether you're dating or whenever it is, it's an opportunity for you to say, huh, okay, where did that come from? Why does this feel um, why does this feel especially hurtful? Or why is this bringing up a lot of emotion when really I know it's not that big of a deal? And then you can go back and ask yourself, okay, what does this remind me of? Or when have I felt like this before? And you just keep tracing it back until you can think, oh yeah, okay, this reminded me of you know, always having to take care of my younger siblings. Or this reminded me of when I was trying to get my parents' attention. Or this reminded me of the time my dad forgot to pick me up. After soccer practice or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you just go in and reparent yourself. You just talk to your inner child, which is basically your unconscious mind. Um, But you talk to your inner child, like, what did, What did that little girl, little boy or whatever need to know? What did he need to um, believe about himself? What did, what do you wish she had been told at the time? And you basically just create that relationship. And then when you're going about your life and you get triggered, then you can, you've had, you've established this relationship with your inner child and you can kind of talk yourself off the ledge, so to speak. It's important to understand that there's a difference between someone treating you poorly and being triggered, (laughs) right? Just because you're feeling triggered, Maybe it's because someone actually is, you know, not being very nice to you or they're not following through on their word or whatever it is. And so it's not an excuse to, oh, well, I'm just being triggered. It's all my stuff. Because that can happen, especially in more manipulative kind of relationships. Triggering is really when your emotion or emotional reaction is greater than what the what the reality is. Right. If someone, if someone like stands you up, or if someone disappoints or someone doesn't do what they say they're going to do and you're upset like you're allowed to feel upset but like if you've gone on one date with someone and they told you they weren't interested or they ghosted and you just feel like you're just an emotional basket case for the next couple of weeks that's being triggered
0: yes I'm, I'm taking it all in i had a point from something you mentioned earlier and that mm-hmm. is how do you keep from taking things personally where i mean we have to kind of go back into our psyche here and, and find out why is this triggering something here why Mm -hmm. and why am i taking it personally and why am i holding (laughs) it so precious what is so important about this that is causing me to either lash out in response or be defensive or hold this grudge
2: yeah so and that's because of the story that you tell yourself so again like let's go back to the example that you want to show your parents your art project and they're busy or don't seem that into it or whatever you might have created a story like my pa- I'm not good enough for my parents, or my parents don't accept me, or my parents don't really like me, or my parents like my other sibling more than me, or whatever, that you know, whatever the story is, you made it about you, you made it personal. And for a five-year-old, that might be all that they can figure out, right? Like they don't see their parents as just humans who are imperfect, right? And so as you get older and you begin to connect the dots and you're doing this inner child work, then what you have to do is you have to see that maybe there's another story that could also be true, right? The story you're telling yourself may or may not be true. Like I said, it may or may not have actually reflected what the reality was. And so maybe your parents, really did love you and they just felt really stressed about getting food on the table and they wanted to care for their children and provide for their children and so that's why they were seemed so distracted and and into work right and so you have to then communicate that message to yourself over and over again so that it clicks in your unconscious mind so that when you're in a situation as an adult where you're feeling ignored or not loved or accepted by your partner you can then snap yourself into okay the story that I want to tell myself because it's a habit is that, you know, I have to act a certain way or whatever to get their approval, or to get their love or attention. But another story might just be that whatever the that whatever the thing that's creating the behavior from the other person, it's just about them and it has nothing to do about you. So it's about telling yourself another story, but you have to do that on an unconscious level and not just like your conscious brain, because like your adult brain can say, oh yeah, my parents are doing the best I can. Or oh yeah, like this guy, he just has like a lot of stuff going on and that's why he's acting like XYZ. And that's all well and good, but your subconscious mind is really the part of your brain that creates the beliefs about yourself and also creates a lot of your habits and actions and so that's ultimately going to create your reality and so it's like this repetitive nature of talking to your inner child that will then begin to shift the story deep down so that when you do see someone acting out of line or someone acting or behaving in a poor way you can say this person is just acting from a lot of pain and i feel really sorry for them yeah
1: well that's thank you this is where forgiveness comes in Mm -hmm. and to me Because I know I've done a lot of forgiveness work and it is, it will change your life. It is a lifesaver. It is a, it is the most powerful tool you could ever have in your toolbox to be able to forgive and Mm self-forgive. So incredibly powerful and effective when you're able to turn the pain or anger into pity uh, if, if it's done to you, if it's, you know, someone hurts you and if you can turn that around and think, okay, where's this person coming from? Where did this pain come You know, Robbie and I say it all the time, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. So once you consider the source, you can, you can process the pain, your own pain, um, much more effectively and much more positively, I feel. Yeah. If you are the one that has caused pain, the, the ability to, wow, to let yourself off the hook and to forgive yourself is also an incredible tool. I can't say enough about it. I do practice it. I really do. I practice it every day in my meditation and just wherever I can because that's all you got. Otherwise, you walk around with a big fat grudge. You're just, it's right in the middle of your gut. And that mm-hmm. is, that will block you from everything. Yeah, I, I completely agree.
2: I think forgiveness is a really important piece. And I think it's it's most important to when we're talking about forgiveness, it's not about saying, oh, this person did me wrong, but like, whatever, you know, that's not really forgiveness. It's really like forgiving yourself for buying into the misunderstanding that you you know bought into some old beliefs that you have to look a certain way or act a certain way to get love. And so that's really what the forgiveness is about. Because I, 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 I agree, Like if you don't forgive yourself, not only do you hold a grudge towards other people, but that's when I find you stay angry at yourself and you keep suppressing emotions. And that's when patterns happen over and over again. And so when, when women ask me, well, why do I keep attracting narcissists or emotionally unavailable men or whatever it is over and over again? it's because there's just these unprocessed emotions that haven't been fully released and expressed and forgiveness is definitely a big part of that.
1: Okay, so let's go with that for a little bit. How do you how do you coach your I know how I coach my clients, but how do you coach your clients to practice forgiveness on themselves?
2: Yeah, so I think the first thing before I before I even bring up the idea of forgiveness is as I want them to be able to connect the dots and understand how people are behaving because I really believe that human behavior is 100% predictable. And, you know, I, I have clients say, oh, this person blindsided me. And I'm like, but really, yeah. when we break it down, like it wasn't that surprising that this person did whatever, whatever, whatever. And so I think that the first thing is you have to understand why people are doing what they do and why you do what you do just so you can have an objective look at it because otherwise you're going into the space where you're like, I'm supposed to forgive this person and he cheated on me or she did this to me or whatever it is. And that can be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. So it's, and I, so it's not about like brushing things under the rug or, Oh, it's okay, whatever. Um, so I really like to just have my clients write letters to, um, previous partners to themselves to their parents whoever else is just holding like these old beliefs over them that they've you know that they've instilled themselves and I like to use the prompts like based on like the Ho'oponopono prayer from um I think it's Something from the Polynesian islands. Basically, it's like I forgive you because I'm sorry because I thank you because, and I'm sending you love because. And when you can look at this being who hurt you, or even that you were just in an old relationship that didn't go well, um, when you can look at them from a soul-to-soul level that you are able to, or that you your two souls needed to align for that moment in time to learn the lessons that you both needed to learn, and then you can just get to that place that from a deep knowing. Then, like the forgiveness is really just about releasing that person and releasing that soul to like let them go do whatever they need to do next mm-hmm. in this lifetime and then trusting that whoever you meet next is going to be on some level a soulmate. Mm-hmm. may not be like the person you spend the rest of your life with but it's going to be another person that's going to help you learn some soul lessons that you need to learn in order to be ready for the relationship you're supposed to be in so that's how I frame forgiveness for for my clients excellent it is
1: that's great
0: time for our third break so let's go do okay. that And then we will be right back with more from Veronica Grant. And we are back.
1: Okay, so you meet someone who might be a little sensitive, who you're dating someone, or someone's dating you. You are a little sensitive. You have maybe not as thick skin as you'd like. You get hurt quick. You take things too personally. I mean, everybody at some point has been that person. We have a good friend who was a guest on the show named Dr. Gary Salyer. He is fantastic and so wise and sage. And he said that the goal is to turn your enduring vulnerabilities into endearing vulnerabilities. And I think that is possible. So I think that the things that trigger us could easily be construed as shameful and embarrassing and humiliating and counterproductive. But you know what? your vulnerabilities and insecurities are kind of sweet at the same time and i think that people are ashamed of that part of themselves the shadow side you know the vulnerable side do you think that that people can turn it around and make it something that to be sort of hey this is me this is this is the package this is the baggage this is what i come in here with this is who i am instead of feeling shame yeah totally i think that
2: actually can be a really good you know, red flag marker too, for example. So like, let's say, you know, something really popular or common in my audiences, a lot of the women feel like they're highly sensitive or that they're empaths. And so they've been in relationships with people who have said, oh, you're just too sensitive or you're too emotional, or you shouldn't take it like that. It didn't mean it like that or, or whatever. They turn it around on, on them. And I think that if instead you can take this quote unquote weakness and lead from it and like, let that, be the part of you that actually shines and that makes you you and unique. And if someone thinks that's cool, or they want to connect with you on that level, then that's a great sign. And if someone is not interested in that or putting that part of you down, then that to me is just like an immediate red flag, deal breaker, all the things. So yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I think it can go even further to kind of be like your red flag gauge.
1: I think, yeah, it needn't be a deal breaker, as you were saying. It needn't be a liability. I think that our life experience, including pain and suffering, can be an asset. It can add depth and flavor and texture to who we are uh, as people in relationships, in marriages, how we date. I think there's just a lot of, unfortunately, especially if you keep striking out, if you feel like, I can't get anything going, You know, I'm just dating and dating. It's just not getting any going anywhere. And uh, I'm a big fat loser. And, you know, it's uh, it, it just adds more emotional sort of trauma and scar tissue into the situation, which, you know, my job, your job is to relieve people of that notion that they're somehow damaged because of whatever. I mean, we're all come on, come on. We're all imperfect humans. Right.
2: Right. It's kind of like it's a thing that just keeps spiraling and cycling because, like, you think that, oh, I haven't figured out love or I'm not in a relationship because something's wrong with me. And so then you try to change yourself. But then, like, because you're not really acting like who you are, then you're attracting like the wrong kind of people. And so then you keep fear, um, facing rejection or just relationships not working out. And so then you think something's wrong. And so it just keeps going over and over and over again. And so that's why I think it's so important to understand that, you know, with all the relationships that you've been in, you're the common denominator. That doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It just means that you're the common denominator. And so it's important to understand, okay, from what place am I attracting all of these relationships? And you know, one thing that I have my clients do, it's really fun exercises to literally list out all of their past relationships and write down like, what was the dynamic of the relationship? Why did we attract each other on a soul level? Um, what was the nature of, the relationship before the breakup? What was the breakup like? What does the aftermath of the breakup look like? And then you can begin to see some of your patterns. And that's when you can begin to connect it to inner child stuff and understand why you're attracting. And then, like, at least for my clients who are like type A's, and they want, you know, they want like a plan, or they want to see something in very logical form, then you can literally see like, oh, okay, this is why I'm attracting this kind of person. So I don't actually have to change who I am or hide a part of me, I can actually let that part of me shine and just attract from this healthier place of me and not this place of need or this place of, you know, where a void might live.
0: Veronica, what happens when your inner child meets the inner child of your date at the same
2: time? (laughs) Well, it can often feel like it's one of those relationships where it's just fireworks, love at first sight, all all the glory all the like oh my god this is too good to be true because it usually is too good to be true so a lot of times these relationships that are kind of toxic or unhealthy are really difficult to leave because there are really 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 good moments but it's almost like intoxicating moments and so for example like if you have like a pleasing tendency and you really need to feel um, like you're helping people or getting people to do what they want to do or whatever you have, you know, people pleasing tendencies. And that's how you get your self of worth yourself of um, your sense of self worth your sense of confidence. Then you come along and you meet someone who has narcissistic tendencies, which again, came from childhood, no one was born like that. Then It's going to feel really good on both ends because you're both getting what your inner child needs, but it's based on all of this old wounding. And so I actually tell my clients, like, if you meet someone and it just feels like fireworks and like this is love at first sight and too good to be true, like, you know, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer, but usually it. It is an example of two people attracting to each other based on their wounds rather than you know who they are as people. You know, Real love feels more stable, more steady, and that's really what you want to look for. And if it feels like that intoxicating piece, like I mentioned earlier, that's usually
1: people attracting each other based on their wounds.
0: That's a magic that is, moment.
1: That's a good explanation. I would also add to that. Uh, if um, that is the case, check out your attachment style. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, on that note, it's time to wrap up our show, unfortunately. Okay. But Veronica, <laughs> let us know how everybody can find you.
2: Yeah, so the best place to find me is I also have a podcast called the love life connection. And if you are interested in learning what your dating style is, or what your dating block is really head over to veronicagrantcom forward slash quiz. And depending on what your block is, I have a guide for you to help to begin to clear that and I like to hang out on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my
1: social media time. So I'm Veronica E grant there okay excellent and
0: you can find us you can find us at done being single
1: at done being single on twitter and instagram
0: yes
1: and facebook and you can find our podcast wherever you find your podcasts mm-hmm. please subscribe leave a review
0: sure love it
1: uh, make it really nice so and we'll love you forever
0: we are done being single
1: yes we and,
0: are uh, we hope everybody else is too or not Happy, hey, whatever you just you're be doing. happy. Right. Be
1: happy whether you're done or not. Just be done being miserable. How's that?
0: That's very good.
1: <laughs> That's the next show. <laughs> done Being Miserable right. with Robbie and Trevor.
0: Veronica, thank you so much. Great hour. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: And uh, everybody will be back next week with another show. So everybody have a great week. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being
1: Single.